to preach I was super pumped about preaching and then I saw my topic and like lump in my throat was like oh is it too late to back out like like can I say no like this topic doesn't sound very fun and so I was a little bit intimidated and like kind of procrastinated on like getting into it but once I started studying it was really cool and I'm actually really glad that this was the topic that my name got randomly assigned to maybe not so randomly who knows um, because it's a topic that is super important, but we don't talk about it enough. Um, and so if you would like to turn to first John with me, we're going to be in chapter four. If you don't know where first John is, where have you been this whole time? But I'll give you a hint. It's after the gospels. And if you hit revelation, turn around. So we'll be reading from verse four, uh, or from chapter four, verses one to six. And it's, Uh, Let's actually, let's pray before we read. God, thanks so much for this opportunity that we get to learn together, that we get to read from your word and just try and piece together and understand what it is that you have communicated to us. Thank you for um, just this time that we get to gather together. Would you be with us? We love you. Amen. All right. So testing the spirits. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you know if a spirit comes from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come as a human is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have defeated these people because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, so they speak from the world's point of view, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The person who knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So that's a lot. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of content. And so when I read it, I had two questions. And so that's kind of what's going to guide us through our little journey together today. And so my first question was, how do I or how can I identify a false prophet? And then my second question was, what do I do when I encounter one? So how do I or how can I identify a false prophet? I think it's important to note that um, false prophets were not just around in biblical times. They're everywhere. Um, it took me a while to kind of realize what they were in the world today because I think that we've made them so normal. We've normalized things like coveting celebrities and fame and, and searching after money and worshiping things of earth that we don't even realize that these things are, are idols in our lives. But I also think of, of places like Thailand where Buddhism is all about this worship about this worship of things that aren't God. And then I think of also places like the Westboro Baptist Church, which was started as a Baptist church, and the pastor went full rogue and now uses inflammatory hate speech to spread his gospel. And I think of things like that, and there are millions of people following, like, these different leaders that are just spewing lies. And so what I find interesting is that we have this tendency to want things that are valuable. And anything that's valuable, anything that has any value in the world, has someone out there trying to create a convincing fake. 
has someone trying to make a double or some sort of replica because they want that thing. And so if you've been to Thailand or anywhere in Asia, really, you know that you can get like Nikes and Adidas shoes and Birkenstocks for really cheap and they look legit. And if you've been to Europe, you can get any purse under the sun from some random vendor on the side of the road that'll try to haggle you for a price that it's totally not worth. And if you're Kirsten and your dad goes to Dubai, you want him to bring you back a fake Rolex because they're cool things and they're not bad things. It's not bad to want to have those things. But when we put those things in the place of God, that's when it becomes a problem. And so I think that God, who's the most valuable, the most valuable thing in the world, then it would make sense that people are trying to create a convincing fake. It would make sense for people to want to create something different. And so it becomes a matter of discernment. The problem with discernment is that you're not born with it. Like it comes with time. It takes time. You have to gain it. And I know this because I work with babies. And if you've ever been around a baby, you know that a baby will literally put anything and everything in their mouths. It doesn't matter where it's been. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where they found it. They're eating it. And so discernment is learned. It's taught to you. It's observed. It's experienced. And so babies will put rocks in their mouths. And then someone will tell them, don't eat that. Don't put that rock in your mouth. Or they'll watch the people around them that are maybe a little bit older not put rocks in their mouths. And then they'll know from experience that putting a rock in your mouth doesn't taste good, probably hurts your teeth, and you want to get it out. And as they grow older, they will be less likely to put rocks in their mouths because they've observed, they've been taught, they've learned, and they've experienced that it's not good. It's a matter of discernment. And so we need to use our discernment to try and find and weed out these false prophets that are so present in our world. But discernment isn't enough. And so I put together just like a little list of things that you can ask yourself when trying to identify a false prophet. The first thing is what's their source? A false prophet will usually be taking some version of God or some version of scripture and twisting it to fit their own ideals, to fit their own motives, to, to create their own gospel. That's what they do. Um, the second question is what's their message? Is Jesus at the center of their message? What gospel are they preaching? What do they believe about Jesus? I think that if someone believes something about Jesus that's wrong, if what someone believes about Jesus is wrong, then it probably doesn't matter what they believe is right. Because if what they believe about Jesus is wrong, then they must believe other things are also wrong. And if they believe that what they believe about Jesus is wrong to them is right, then everything else is kind of skewed. The third question I had was, what's their character like? What kind of people do they attract? What kind of people do they hang out with? What kind of things do they do with those people? Who's, who's their flock? What's their following? Uh, and then you, I have the question of what's their fruit? What's the fruit of their ministry? Does the lifestyle that they live produce the fruits of the Spirit? or Is it just creating these false ideals? The thing with false prophets is that they promise much, but they deliver little. They promise a lot and they deliver little. And the reason that they never deliver is because their promises are made on a crumbling foundation. 
their lies that are based on more lies that are based on more lies, and they can never actually amount to those things because it's all not true. And then the last question is, what's their end result? Where does it ultimately lead you? Where is that person trying to lead you? What is it bringing you to? Who does it bring you to? Does it bring you nearer to them? Does it bring you nearer to God? Does it bring you nearer to something that's completely fabricated? I think that these are super important things to note when trying to identify a false prophet because false prophets have one mission, and it's to deceive and turn people away from Jesus. They're liars. And so we can't be people who believe first and test later because it's too important. We can't just choose to follow along and to say, oh, I'll deal with it later. Like, it's, it's no big deal. It's nothing because it's too important. It's a matter of eternity. And so that kind of takes care of the first, the first question, how do you identify one? So the second question is, what do you do when you encounter one? And you don't have to turn here, but I'm just going to quickly read from Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 to 4. And it's a whole chapter about false prophets and false gods. So it says, Now if a prophet or dream interpreter appears among you and performs a sign or wonder for you, and the sign or wonder that was spoken actually occurs, if he says, Come on, we should follow other gods, ones you haven't experienced, and we should worship them, you must not listen to that prophet or that dream interpreter's words because the Lord your God is testing you to see if you love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your being. You must follow the Lord your God alone, revere him, follow his commandments, obey his voice, worship him, cling to him, no other. So it's pretty clear what we're supposed to do. Not listen flee, follow the Lord, follow his commandments, obey him, serve him, worship him, hold fast to him. And so they're like really simply said, but not very simply done. And so how do we protect ourselves from these spirits? And I think that we find the answers in verses, oh no, I guess I moved my marker, um, in First John, but from the verses, um, Four to six. It says, You are from God, little children, and you have defeated these people because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, so they speak from the world's point of view, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The person who knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's huge. We are from God. That means that we've already overcome it, not by anything that we've done, but because God has already overcome it. And so we don't have to be afraid of these spirits, these false prophets, because God's already won. We do need to be attentive. We do need to be discerning. God is greater than the things of this world. False prophets, they're from the world, so they speak from the world. They have a viewpoint of worldly things. And we are told in these verses not to listen to them. We're told just to not listen to them. And they, or we're told also that they won't listen to us. It's a battle that's ongoing, and it's a he said, he said, she said type of deal. 
but God is greater than the things of this earth. And I think it's really important for us to remember that the ground of our victory isn't because we're more discerning, because we've got wisdom out the wazoo, because we're super smart and we're better, but it's because of Jesus. It's because of Christ. Um, I'm going to close up by telling you just a little story. When I lived in Ontario, I used to help run a kids program on Wednesday nights, a midweek. And if you have ever been to Ottawa, you would know that winter is about eight months of the year. And so it's really long and you are dressed in about the same outfits every week because it's only so much winter, outdoor winter apparel that you can own. And so Sorel kind of has the monopoly and everyone just owns Sorel boots. And every week, my friend, my best friend Sarah and I would stand at the door and we would greet the kids as they'd come in. And we knew them all by name because there was only about 30 of them. And I came in and we would be wearing our coats because opening the doors is cold and we'd be wearing our boots because it's winter. And every week, our youth pastor's five-year-old daughter, Olivia, would come in and she would, would, hi, Olivia, how's it going? How's your day? Then she would look at Sarah, look her up and down look at her boots, then stare her right in the eyes and go, you have the same boots as my mom. And, and every week, Sarah would be like, oh, that's great. Like, oh, your mom's got great fashion taste. Like, cool. Like, what are you supposed to say? Like, yeah, I also have the same boots as like half of the Ottawa University campus. Like, there's just like, there's only so many winter boots you can buy. And um, probably like month six or seven of winter, Olivia, this happened every week, every single week, you have the same boots as my mom. And like walk away kind of snarky. And every week, Sarah would respond kind of passively like, oh, really cool. Until one week, Olivia came in. You had the same boots as my mom. And Sarah looked down at her boots, looked back up, looked down, looked back up, and looked at her and said, you have the same boots as my mom. And she, Olivia, five-year-old, just like, and then crossed her arms in front of her, looked Sarah dead in the eye, yelled liar, and ran away. Which let, like, I've never seen a a five-year-old more passionate about anything in their entire life. And so she just stood there, liar! Bolted it into the gym, didn't get her name tag, didn't wait for her parents or siblings to come in, like, gone. And Sarah and I kind of just stood there like, oh, what just happened? Like, what happened? And then we, like, laughed so hard that we cried because it was really funny. But what actually happened in that moment is that Olivia used the best of her five-year-old discernment. She looked at her boots that were pink and glittery and lit up when she walked and looked at the adults that were in the room and said, these are not adult shoes. There's no way Sarah's mom owns them. And then she knew, because she knows Sarah's mom, who also helps at Wednesday nights, that Jill did not have pink glittery boots that lit up when she walked. And so she knew that what she had heard was a lie, and she decided in that moment that she was not going to let Sarah have it. She wasn't going to let Sarah believe it. So she crossed her arms and yelled, liar, and ran away. And I think that we've got a lot to learn from my five-year-old friend, who's probably now like nine or ten, because I have, I just wish, I pray for us that, like Olivia, we would be able to use our discernment in situations to identify lies, and that with all the authority of a mighty five-year-old, we would cross our arms, look people dead in the eye, yell, liar. Not actually, don't do that. That's probably terrifying. But, you know, um, like, like command authority, not because we have the authority, but because Jesus 
won the battle already. And so I really think that if a five-year-old can discern something like that, we also have the power to discern the same way. And so I would just like to pray for us. God, thank you so much for just this time. I pray, Lord, that you would help increase wisdom, increase discernment in each and every one of these people in this room. God, I know that you have mighty plans for them, that you have big plans. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that in the face of adversity, in the face of lies, that this room of people, that we would all have the authority of a five-year-old to cross our arms, yell liar, and to be unafraid, that we would cling to you in moments where we, we just aren't sure. God, I pray that you would help us remember that the battle has been won, that you are greater than the things of this world, that you are greater than anything that someone could possibly make up. And so, God, I just pray, would you be with us? Would you help us identify these lies? Would you help us respond the way you would? We love you. We thank you so much for everything that you've done, that you're doing, and that you are going to do. Amen. That's all I got. Thanks, everyone.